Rome FM. I'm adding illustration and I'm working a lot with um, custom CSS and formatting and layout. So it's things I can't actually do in Rome, so I can't think in Rome in a certain way. Hello there, welcome to Rome FM. Here we dive into the minds, workflows, and machinations of the Rome cult, the believers of Rome research. My name is Norman Cella, and I am on a mission to deconstruct wisdom from all walks of life so we can understand each other better. In this episode, we talk with Maggie Appleton, who is the art director, metaphor designer, and anthropological all-rounder at Egghead.io. Soon to start a master's in digital anthropology, she is known for her contributions to digital gardens as well as illustrated notes. She is at the forefront of visual thinking, and when it comes to Rome, she's done a lot as well. I'm using her theme right now for my private Rome. We talked about the dark times, everything pre-Rome and how she discovered the tool, her digital garden and definitions of an evergreen note, growing from budding to seedlings to the evergreen, discussions on the cult itself and her take on who Rome users are from an anthropological perspective, and the tool itself from workflows to predictions to the freedom in which one can find their own ways of using Rome. The topics varied a lot in this conversation, so I hope that you will enjoy this amazing conversation and follow along as we figure out what makes Rome such an amazing tool for Maggie to use it. So, without further ado, let's dive into my chat with Maggie Appleton. Maggie Appleton, welcome to Rome FM. How are you doing? Great, thanks. I'm excited to talk to you about this. <laughs> oh yes, I am also super excited. Actually, I like... I, I think when I was drafting out um, the first few guests for Rome FM, you were definitely up there uh, in terms of just wanting to talk about Rome. I'm not, I'm not even sure to what extent, but the fact that all of this discourse surrounding Rome cult and on Rome research, you brought so much. Uh, so I would love to do like a deep dive on how you've been doing things. But before we even touch on that, before we even touch on your amazing relationship with Rome, with how you use it, etc., there has to be a an origin story or a before. So let's do a little bit of time travel and talk about the times before Rome. Uh, what was life like before then, and how did you stumble upon the tool? <laughs> um, I even started calling it the before times, you know, in all capitalization. <laughs> Um, (laughs) it's in mostly like in other you know some of my like cozy web groups with other people who use Rome we'll all refer to the before times Um, (laughs) because we'll say oh I read that book five years ago but it was in the before times so I can't give you any notes on it Um, (laughs) but the before times it probably is more centered around um, a course I took called building a second brain um, last year which I know has a lot of overlap with other Rome users so it's this course taught by Diego Forte um, and it's more around um, making sure you capture things and t- taking good notes. And it's all just note-taking nerd stuff. Mm. Um, and, you know, Rome just happens to be one of the note-taking tools that a lot of us like, but even the original course is taught with Evernote. So I took that in September, and actually I met a lot of Rome cult people back then through Building a Second Brain. And then um, I started it in Notion first. So I think from September to December, I was like doing this whole thing in Notion. And trying to make that work. And Notion is great, like yeah. shared documentation. It's it's a wonderful power tool. Um, but then in December, um, I had seen a tweet from Venkatesh Rao about Rome. And I'm a big fan of him. So I was like, oh, Venkat's into this. I want to check this out. Um, and at the time, one of my uh, colleagues, Joel Hooks, he got into it. And he was like, you would really like this. You should look at it. 
Yeah. Um, so I remember specifically, it was like the day after Christmas um, and I was trying to hide from my family. Um, and it was just like, I just went down a rabbit hole for, for like two days, just like <laughs> checking Rome out and seeing what it could do. And it was that lull between Christmas and New Year's when there's like not much else to do. And I was just reading and just getting Rome set up. Um, so I've been in it pretty full time since then. <laughs> So this is interesting because you you did BSAB, you did building a second brain, and I'm sure that you took a lot of the the core, shall we say, principles or the core concepts mm-hmm. behind capturing notes that are useful, assigning them to projects, to areas, to resources, to archives, and I guess that works for you. And when mm-hmm. you tried to start to use Rome to apply that, were there was there any like friction in terms of applying the building a second brain concept into Rome? Yes. Yeah. They don't map perfectly because, because uh. building a second brain is based around the hierarchical folder system, right? You have projects, areas, resources, archives, and really most of Rome is resources in a certain sense. Yeah. And there's kind of archives and there's not, I've tried to make areas work and I sort of have pages that are tagged areas and there's an areas page. Um, but I never use it that much or I have yet to figure out quite, you know, it's not some power feature of it, I'll say. Um, mostly I do project management and to-do list management in Rome now. And then mostly it's, it's really resources, right? Getting the writing going, um, and, and really actively taking notes in order to remember and understand things is mostly, I think it's power. Hmm. Interesting. So some parts of it work really well and then some parts don't, but I I, I actually want to, you did mention project management and to-do, uh, management. Mm -hmm. How are you doing the... Purely curious, just purely just from my perspective, I'm having trouble doing task management in Rome, mm-hmm. like without external help, like or external embeds from other apps. Um, oh, so having what are you embedding, <laughs> I'm embedding. Oh man, Rome cult's gonna kill me for this. So I'm embedding, <laughs> I'm embedding a Todoist. Uh, oh, so that I have like my today uh, embed on at all times. And the reason why is because you have really like quick capture of tasks and they mm-hmm. do it the best there. So I would have it embedded in Rome while I'm doing all my, you know, uh, content creation or whichever. Uh, but when I'm away from my laptop or when I'm away from my iPad or whatever, you might have tasks just coming up uh, on the spot. Maybe you have to do something. Uh, maybe you have to learn, maybe you have to like prioritize it a certain way. Maybe you have to assign it to a certain project. And you know, with your phone, it's quick, it's nimble. You just want to keep it there and you can think about it later so that you can be in the right environment to start working on those tasks or at least plan for them or organize them. Uh, I I have trouble doing that in Rome and partly it's because there's no mobile app or at least the mobile functionality is not up to that standard. And the other part is uh, I have specific modes of thinking when I'm with a specific app. As in, when I'm within, when I go into Rome, I have a specific intention, or I have a specific uh, feeling, shall we say, like a certain uh, certain mode or burst of creativity that can only be activated because I'm in Rome. That's not really fit for when I want to do tasks. So I'm just curious, how do you manage your tasks actually through Rome? Um, so I use Nat Eliasson's system, or a bit of a, a riff mm. off it, but uh, I based it around his um, framework. Um, and that's really interesting, the thing you're saying about uh, needing to capture things on the go. And I'm now realizing that the reason that hasn't been an issue for me yet is simply COVID. Like, I haven't left this small flat 
since since March. (laughs) So I'm never more than like a Misha from my laptop. I mean, I take, okay, when I go on runs and I think of things, I put them into drafts app if it's a to-do, but I'm mostly taking notes in there. And then when I get back to the laptop, I, I transfer them over. But actually, I hadn't thought of that. Maybe next year when we're all set free, I will have to move my to-dos out of room. (laughs) Or they have a year to build in functionality for it. I'll say that. (laughs) No, I'm I'm sure there'll be like some level of functionality. And, you know, right now we have the, the, uh, the quick capture function if you're on mobile, which works okay. It yeah, works. Not really. Okay. No. Okay. No. Not really. Connor, I'm really sorry if you're if yeah, you're listening to this. <laughs> I'm, I'm really sorry. I mean, we. I mean, we try our best, right? Like we we really do try yeah. our best. So, so we have the project management, we have the task management, mm-hmm. and we have the core part uh, of how you use Rome. And I believe this is the aspect that you're probably most famous for. Uh, which is the way that you I don't know about famous? <laughs> famous. I mean, I would, I would think. I mean, within the Rome cult, at In least. In a weird Twitter uh, universe. <laughs> <laughs> no, but a lot of us know your name, so I'm, I'm pretty sure. I mean, I'm even using your, I'm even using your theme right now. But anyway, that's that's to decide. I, cool. I do want to ask about the theme actually. Um, sure. The 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 most interesting part that I know that you've done a lot as well is the work on how you define your digital gardens through mm. Rome and mm-hmm. publishing them on different places. So before we even touch on that, you have to have the notes there in the first place. So I would just love to hear when you stumble upon a piece of information or a resource out there, how do you capture it? What's your workflow? Mm. Um, oh, so it depends on the type, right? So yeah. um, another thing I think people might've known me for was I made a bunch of keyboard maestro um, macros. So they're like yeah. tiny scripts. Uh, and if I'm on a certain piece of content online, like an article, I can hit a hotkey and it'll format it in a way that adds certain tags and I can just paste it straight into Rome as a to-do. Um, and then under that, I nest notes. And usually those notes are what you might call fleeting notes in the in the sort of Zettelkasten system of it. Um, they're just sort of temporary notes that you're using to think. Um, and then while I'm writing those, often there will be certain ideas that are more, you know, durable that I want to kind of carry on and hold on to. And those become seedlings. So I'll um, hashtag them with seedlings. Um, and then all my um, seedlings eventually will become what you hope to be evergreens, which is notes that you have really written properly in a whole sentence and you could publish to a blog or an essay or reuse in certain different contexts. Um, and I've started out with evergreens being pages at first, but now I'm doing more blocks that are tagged evergreen. It's just like a chunk of text that um, is like I can kind of use anywhere and is, yeah, the point, evergreen. <laughs> so so that's mostly how notes develop. They go fleeting to seedling to evergreen. And then evergreens and seedlings both sort of add into um, what I tag as garden notes. So this gets into the digital gardening thing. Yeah which is, um, I think some people think it's something it's not because it's quite a simple concept. It's mostly just um, a website that um, is less what I would call premium, mediocre, millennial, like performative stuff, where, (laughs) (laughs) sorry, that was a lot of of cult words. Premium, mediocre, the concept that Venkatesh Rao came up with (laughs) that's based around millennials. That's like uh, people 
which is, you know, I'm, I'm a millennial, I think you are as well, um, where we were brought up in the, in the context of needing to be performative online. Like we're constantly just trying to like put up our best selves and it needs to be shiny and we are a personal brand and that sort of thing. And, um, he contrasts it to Gen Z or more what he calls domestic cozy, where they're like, don't care as much about like public appearances and they're trying to be less performative. So anyway, <laughs> I, I see digital gardening as more digital cozy, where you're less concerned about being like perfect and shiny on the internet. Um, that would be the, the more like, oh, I have a blog and it's all perfect sort of attitude. Um, and instead it's leaning into posts that are incomplete, posts that you are always updating. Um, so you see the whole thing as as a, a work in process and as a tool for thinking and for process, but that is done in public. So it is also part of the ethos of learning in public. Um, so as you learn, you're just putting things up and you're not, you know, crafting a perfect essay that totally explains every single piece of the concept before you publish it. You're just posting snippets here and there. So I try to do that a lot where um, when things are... Um, you know, good enough. Like they're kind of fine. I'll make a new post on my website and I have a section called my digital garden. Um, and I'll pop it up there. And as I continue to develop it in Rome, I'll continue to put bits and pieces of it up to the website. So there's a whole cycle that goes from Rome to the website and back. Well, okay. So this is interesting because we have the definition of a digital garden being very, mm. very cozy, or at mm. least very forgiving for different yeah. levels of notes in terms of their completion or in this case completion can be defined as how much time have you spent thinking about this and how much time have you spent articulating on this specific mm -hmm. note or on this specific seedling or evergreen uh, i find that definition depending on the note or depending on the idea or concept that i want to flesh out uh, sometimes it doesn't hold up too much. And I think that's just because my understanding of what a digital garden can be is vastly mm. different or at least interpretive. So mm. uh, the, the reason why I'm saying this is because I've been observing that there are quite a few people who want to start digital gardens, but there are certain mm. fears that stop them from publicly posting online, despite the notion of working with the garage door up so that we, you know, learn in public. Of course, there are some benefits, but we have some fears in whether or not is this note, even if it's a seedling or an evergreen, good enough to be posted in public. So here's a question from Kyle Harrison from Twitter mm -hmm. directly to you. How do you balance notes that are presentable in public versus being freeform in notes that are private. And I think this is on the notion of defining or determining whether or not evergreens or seedlings, regardless of their status or their completion, mm. are worth putting on your garden. Uh, and he continues with, do you do a lot of cleaning notes up to share them in public? So okay, these are good questions because it does get us into this concept of digital gardening. Because I've noticed yeah. a lot of people are doing it either with public Rome databases, right? They're just making a separate database from their private one and they're moving notes over, I guess. And then I know other people are using new frameworks like foam is a new one that's just come up. Foam. Uh, and oh. Foam, I know, foam. It's, and it runs all in VS Code, which is like the programmer's environment. So it's for, for developers. Um, and TiddlyWiki, right, works very similar to Rome if you format it correctly. So I think there are a lot of people who put a larger, um, a larger number of their notes on, in their digital garden and they treat it more like um, it, that it mirrors their Rome, more in a one-to-one -one way. 
And I'll say my digital garden, I perceive it much more as just a place that is always um, being updated and that I'm always developing, but it, it doesn't necessarily one-to-one -one reflect with my realm. Um, mostly because I work visually and Rome mm. is non-visual. Yeah. And I also work in code. So I, I'm a, I call myself a really um, shitty developer is what I'll say. <laughs> <laughs> so like, I'm just good enough to kind of make it work, but it's not great. And I, I love CSS and I love like animating and JavaScript. So when I'm making digital, uh, making notes for my digital garden, I'm adding illustration and I'm working a lot with um, custom CSS and formatting and layout. So it's things I can't actually do in Rome. So I can't think in Rome in a certain way. So Rome's just a feeder. And then I develop them in the digital garden that has more creative flexibility with visuals. Which environment has the most updated version of said note? So say if you have a, an evergreen, that mm -hmm. is posted from, I'm assuming, your, your private room, then you flesh it out a little bit, and then you post it on your garden. Uh, which one has the most updated one? Is it a matter of uh, you updated it last, maybe last month or something like that, and evergreen, and then maybe the next two to three months, you've been building up resources, you've been thinking about this, fleshing this out more in your private room, and then you're thinking to yourself, okay, I have enough, I should update this new uh, note. Is it like that? A little. See, this is maybe where my use of evergreens differs from other people who have public notes. Mm. Well, I use them, think of them as, as a little bit of more tools for thinking. So my evergreens are like statements and beliefs that I like hold to be true or believe or have been convinced of from things I've read. Um, and sometimes they just are even like what would look like statements of fact, but um, not necessarily fact. That's not like an objective thing, but um, more things I have like learned, like a key point from a book. And that's like an evergreen. And, it's, mm. and it summarizes that point like cohesively in a way I could reuse it in an essay or something. But I don't publish that note to my digital garden. Those are more, uh, yeah, they're like a compendium of things I know and believe. And then my digital garden notes are separate. So I have a, a tag called Evergreen. And I also have a tag called Garden Note, which is a oh. separate thing. Uh. And now it gets, it's like the taxonomy is too much sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> 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 um, and those are more tracking the, the digital garden. But I, I will say once it leaves Rome, it probably doesn't cycle back in much because now it's gone into that different medium where I've also probably, uh, at that point, I'll draw illustrations on my iPad and I'll add those to the note. And so the living version is then the one on the website and Rome is just the feeder, but it's actually not much of a loop because I can't inherently take it back in. I see. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Sadly, at least, I wish. Yeah. <laughs> yeah at least my understanding is that once it's live it is subject mm -hmm. to maybe translating it to a different medium for example an illustrated note or at mm -hmm. least another now another uh shall we say another third party influence in that it's now public right people can see it maybe you have feedback from other people and therefore since it has been exposed that way it will only grow or it'll evolve in that environment so maybe it's disadvantageous if you put it back into room is that mm -hmm. okay. okay? Yeah, yeah. Because um, on my digital guard, I also have tags like seedling, budding, evergreen. But that's yeah. mostly like to to indicate how finished it is. It just if it's a seedling, it means it's not it's not quite finished. Um, and so if it's like got you know misspellings in it, like don't tweet at me that I have like a typo. It's like I'll say what that is for, <laughs> you know, which people still do. Um, <laughs> 
once they leave Rome, they've, they've sort of flown. And then I have uh, a hashtag alive is what I put on them once they're alive and on the on the digital garden. <laughs> ah, okay. Okay, so you tag them in your room <laughs> just to say like, okay, I'm done with this one, right? Like just put it aside. So, sort of like yeah. an archive or sort of like a do not touch anymore. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Wait, so what's the, what's the, uh, the tech stack to actually publish your garden in public? Um, I use a JavaScript framework called Gatsby. Okay. But it's not technically a JavaScript framework. It's a, uh, what do we call it? Uh, a static uh, SSR, static site generator. Mm. One of these, SSG. It's built on this thing called the Jamstack. I won't throw in all like the dev buzzwords. <laughs> <laughs> but it's, it's, it's built with a framework called Gatsby. Um, and then I use React, which is another JavaScript framework. Uh, and uh, yeah, a lot of custom CSS and, and JavaScript animation stuff. Um, but yeah, it's 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 very uh, web development environment, I guess. Okay, all right. Well, yeah. first of all, I have to say one of the best designs ever for a digital garden because I'm having so much fun just clicking through. And and, <laughs> and visually speaking, when I see the um, the tags at least like the status as in oh okay it's budding or like oh it's a ceiling <laughs> oh okay cool it it gives me or at least psychologically speaking i've become aware that this note is at this current stage and therefore i know that it is a belief or it's a statement or it's a principle that you follow but knowing that it's at that status there will be more information later on so i should check back later right it, it, it's like actually like how a garden is right it's just you know just Oh, just checking the flowers to see how they are. Oh, okay, I'll come back next time. Then maybe it'll, it'll bloom, which is fantastic. I, I love that. Have you tried... Uh, well, here's another question, actually, from Aravind Bala, right, from Twitter. Did you try any other tools to actually build a, a garden, like other than Gatsby or from before that? Um, no, I've been there, no, I've been in Gatsby for like a little over a year now. Mm. Um, I mean, when new ones come out, like right, like foam is like the new thing, or whatever. <laughs> or like when TiddlyWiki, when I saw a lot of people using that, I tested it out just to see what it was like, and I, I love those tools. But they're definitely um, great for people who don't know how to do web development. And it's one because like web development is like hard and frustrating, and like oh my gosh, like don't learn it unless you have to. Like I, I learned it like. <laughs> kicking and screaming and it's because it's my job like my company teaches web development so like I, that's why i know it but um okay. if you yeah javascript is, a, is just a mess um so if you can get away with no code tools like do it <laughs> i would love to do like a garden of no code tools oh, i mean tiddly wiki is probably the closest one at least i need to check yeah. out foam i've never heard of this i, I, I i'll, I'll <laughs> it find it later came but, out yeah. last week so it's getting oh, okay. like the pace of rome cult is is <laughs> crazy sometimes i can't keep up with the amount of tools and plugins and new themes mm -hmm. coming out it's crazy rome cult is really fast in terms of <laughs> news updates and everything you have to be in twitter every day just to keep up and all of a sudden you know the one problem that you've had using in rome has been answered like 52 times the past three days or something like that oh it's crazy yeah. <laughs> <laughs> i know i even see this is why i even feel bad sometimes when um i think because i made the css themes for rome people yeah. get this impression that like i have some perfect rome setup. But like, there's all sorts of flaws. I'm doing things completely unoptimal. Like I watched back, I had done a Rome tour with um, Rob Heitzfield yeah. before. 
And now watching that back, I'm just cringing like, oh, my system is so terrible. I didn't have query set up. I hadn't figured that out. Like, that's all a mess. I've changed everything. Like, <laughs> Oh, so it's like completely different from that tour now. Uh, it's evolved a lot, I'll say, and it will continue okay. to, right? Like in, in another three months, I'll look at my current system and be, and just go like, what was I thinking? You know, none of this is functional. <laughs> I'll, I'll still need to learn about queries and all that. Cause I feel that my system still has to evolve. I, I used your, um, I used your website as a reference for trying to build my own understanding oh, cool. of what a digital garden can be. And I tested it out in um in my private room. So far, it's it's doing okay until we reach that obstacle of publishing the note online and getting over that mm. fear of actually having that first post up. We'll see what happens. Uh, but I know I I hope that will be uh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, we've got to get you. <laughs> it's like because I mean I always like the the thing of going you know what's the worst that can happen. Yeah. You know, someone might read a badly written note and be like, mm, they're not very good and like close the browser. And then like that has not hurt me in any way. <laughs> yeah, I think it's yeah. the may, maybe it's the point of view where something has to be complete before it's put online. Or at least mm. we have a certain definition that we've put to imperfection and therefore mm -hmm. they don't deserve to be published online. Like that could be an example. And something as messy and chaotic as notes Right, mm -hmm. like I, I believe hypertext was only prevalent in the last. Correct me if I'm wrong. Maybe like twenty, thirty years. If I'm right, like as soon as like, I, I think it's yeah. What do we want to date it to? Like nineteen eighty something. Eighty seven, eighty eighty eight. I think. I mean, I least. know. So, um, Ted Nelson came up with the word in nineteen sixty three, mm. but I don't think we had implementation of it properly until. Okay, I'm not going to even guess a year. I'm going to guess 80s, but you know what? Twitter can correct me. I'm going <laughs> to when I write this down with a to-do. <laughs> I know one one of the um, other Rome cult guys. He's starting up a, a podcast just about hypermedia and hypertext. Oh, this is why um, I love Rome cult. <laughs> oh, uh, Thomas Linky. I think that's his name. Oh yeah, Thomas I think Linke. that is. I think yeah. the show name I'm is excited called. For that. Yeah, hypermedia today. I think that's the name of the show. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'm excited to hear that because I had gotten, I mean, Rome had like put me down all these like wonderful historical research rabbit holes, like yeah. um, Xanadu, Project Xanadu, which is like, it copies a lot of the patterns from that. I went down the whole thing of researching where hypertext came from, digital gardening, it turns out is a, is a term that goes like back to like early 90s. Um, yeah, there's, there's, it's like wonderful how it just ends up making you get really curious about computer history and how we ended up with the internet that we do have today. And what's like the infrastructure actually underlying it that prevents us from being able to do things like why can't we have bi-directional links between web pages? Turns out it's complicated, right? <laughs> I mean, it would be great if you could do bi-directional yeah. links between, but well, now that now that you brought that up, actually, what's the most recent rabbit hole that you've been down that you've been deep diving into Ooh. recently? <laughs> um, ooh, this week. Um, yeah, this week. <laughs> uh, I've been looking, yeah, I know, right? I'm like, oh god, I have to check my Rome. I don't even know. Um, well, I mean, I've been going back down. Um, I originally was a, a, a cultural anthropology major for my undergraduate degree, and I'm heading into a master's in digital anthropology in September. So I've been revisiting a lot of my old um, favorite anthropologists. Um, so 
uh, a lot of the rabbit holes I'm going down this week is sort of like rereading classics that I fell in love with at 20 and like kind of haven't reread. And my notes on them don't exist because there was no Rome back then. Oh, <laughs> okay. So like Microsoft Word files. Such I don't know dark where they are. times. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I don't know anything about any of the books I read, you know? <laughs> yeah. Wait, so I'm going to ask if I'm a complete idiot. What is actually digital anthropology? Because no, that's a good question. <laughs> my un- yeah, uh, I, my understanding is that I guess anthropology deals with classifications of yeah, I think classifications up to a certain degree. It's been a while. Uh, it's been a while since <laughs> I've heard about worry. this. But yeah, what what's uh, digital anthropology and why going back to masters actually? Yeah, yeah. So um, anthropology. I mean you would be very forgiven for not knowing like the definition of it because they yeah. are infamous for infighting amongst themselves trying to figure out what the word means, right? It's one of yeah. these disciplines. It's essentially just the study of human culture, which is like, well, that's everything, right? But cultural anthropology is it very much looks at things like uh, tribe, tribalism, kinship, ritual, language, anything that's a the culture. And there's all these different disciplines of it. And digital anthropology is simply looking at the culture of how uh, any digital artifact, like uh, computers, you know, essentially anything built on binary code, the way we understand that, the way we interact with it, the way it influences our lives and our cultures uh, on like a societal scale. Big, big topic, I know. (laughs) No, actually, it's super interesting. I actually didn't know that there is actually a field called digital anthropology i think it's because (laughs) yeah no i think it's because like years ago i was trying to find what was the word for the study of human culture as in the connections between or actually interactions between groups or entities or parties Mm -hmm. uh depending on the environment i guess i touched on anthropology ages ago but i I guess i never pursued it but now now that i'm curious since you are yeah yeah pursuing digital anthropology (laughs) okay okay so we have digital artifacts i.e Computers, technology, etc., all built in binary code, and I guess the field touches on our interactions with them and or cultures that are based on these artifacts, where you have communities, their own subcultures, their own set of rules, etc. As a future masters in digital anthropology, how big of an influence do you think Rome research will be uh, in this field? Ooh, oh, I don't know if I'm studying futurology yet. Um, that's like another subdiscipline. Oh, oh that's another one. Oh, okay. Right, <laughs> Futurologists, they're quite, they're quite fun. Um, oh, I don't know if I can really predict that. I'll say I like talking about pattern languages a lot. So that just means like the, the, the design patterns of Rome, right? So like Rome in itself, right, is, is a great app. But what makes it wonderful, right, is, is the things like the bidirectional links, the transclusion, which is where, you know, you, you embed a block rather than copying and pasting it. You're not making a copy or you're actually embedding the original, uh, you know, embeds. So there's all these like design patterns that are really what make it powerful. So I think Rome is now kicking off what will we will see those because, of course, now we've seen all these other apps, you know, split off, right? Foam yeah. and Athens and Obsidian. Suddenly everyone's looking more and more like Rome. It's like this magnet that's just like slowly like shifting the whole product design field towards more Rome-esque features. Um, so I find that really, really fascinating that I think it's changing all, uh, people's understanding of what is possible. Um, and again, it's these, all these ideas from the 60s that kind of got buried for a while, all the Ted Nelson-like Xanadu stuff it's suddenly becoming popular again. So I, yeah, I can't, I don't know if I can say anything about like the fate of Rome in particular, except that (laughs) 
right? <laughs> um, but I, I'm expecting that we like it's not you know the patent languages are good and they were good in the beginning and they'll just continue to grow. Well, let's look at this from a different angle then, as someone mm-hmm. who is observing this. Maybe okay, maybe you can't really predict how it will be uh, in the future. But at the very least, uh, what would you like to see more of from room research, since it is this. I don't want to say core tool, but at least one tool in the space of network thought applications or solutions that is essentially redefining what the design of a network thought space or network like note taking tool can be, or at least the potential of it. And that's because and for me, potential is like the biggest selling factor of room research. Like because you use this, this tool, there is a potential connection between this note and this note from 50 years ago Mm -hmm. there's a potential connection with this and this there's a potential abc so is there something that you would like to see pop out from research is there like a like a certain prediction i've heard uh from other people that you know there are talks of block references being done across graphs because i think that was always in the roadmap right oh that was in the roadmap okay right okay so that is or okay. I, from what I understand, like, well, I don't know all the full history of, of uh, how Connor got started with this, but my understanding was he was looking for a way to build a multiplayer collaborative network thought. Mm, okay. And the, the private database was the first iteration of it, but the goal all along was that, you know, your, your database and mine might be able to reference each other and have that whole, you know, get into some sort of, you know, global global brain whole network thing, right like it gets very trippy <laughs> <laughs> i don't know how that works at scale you know i have questions about you know can anyone reference your graph how do you control permissions i yeah. mean that was always the issue with why we couldn't do bi-directional links on the web is how do you manage you know if, if anyone could link to your website and their website would show up as a linked reference imagine what the spammers would do right yeah, yeah. Um, you you just have a field day with with just abuse and yeah, yeah. and and dark shady stuff going on. It would just, it wouldn't be good. So they couldn't solve that problem. So they couldn't put bidirectional links in. Plus, it was just like uh, infrastructure. It was difficult. But yeah, I'm curious to see how that plays out. But this thing of having you know, if you give people permission, and then you can all bidirectional link to each other. That's what we really want, and we want to be able to do that with public digital gardens, right? I want to be able to have my notes on a book, and if you made notes on the same book, to be able to have those reference each other. You know, it would be really cool if I could reference a block that has your illustrated notes on mm-hmm. there to be and applied transcript. to my yeah. own graph, uh, to, to maybe to even comment on it or to further elaborate on it mm-hmm. or even have like a civil discussion on like agreeing or disagreeing on or on thinking. Anyway lots of yeah that's the dream <laughs> and even so the, the project xanadu uh spec for that um yeah totally included that um and then they had on the added layer that there would be micropayments baked in and this was kind of the issue with the project too that they tried to like do they were just like we'll have all the things we'll have like this is and this is before you know blockchain and bitcoin were everything but they had this concept of that if, if i had made a, a block of text and you embedded it in your site a, everyone who came to your site would somehow be paying into some communal payment system and would give like 0001 cent back to me because mine was embedded in yours and you would get a higher percentage of the. It was this whole complex payment structure that was supposed to enable, you know, 
full full you know like distributed payments for everyone across all the content we produce on the internet details are fuzzy <laughs> yeah that sounds extremely complicated that almost sounds like yeah. <laughs> um there's that blockchain based social media site steam it i think that's what it's called that oh, uses a couple, i think too coin coil coil, coil maybe yeah the one that i know of is steam it yeah uh, I, I I used to work in fintech, so there was this point in time where I would list out a lot of uh, uh, coins or blockchain technologies, or at the very least, the applications of them, right? Like their use cases, because not all of them have to be used in a transactional manner, right? They can be right. used just to identify things. Some have been used to to determine whether or not an item is fraud, because you cannot like override uh, a decentralized block unless you have a you know, a 51% uh, major attack. But, you know, for something like Steemit, I believe, is when you post something and then it's really popular, so people like it. And the the likes or the engagement has a currency conversion rate with the token and the token has a huh. currency conversion rate with real money, like with fiat huh. currency, which is, which is interesting. Because if you're able to, yeah. to do that or at least emulate that, uh, already at post level, like at an article mm -hmm. level, like there, maybe there's something possible at Rome level. If if a block is referenced a thousand times, maybe it's worth a lot. I don't know, but like, <laughs> but then yeah, like like you said, that the the problems do come with uh, the grounds for abuse or uh, permissions and or consent between private and public graphs. Like if I have a lot of notes on my private graph uh, i don't want you to be touching on my i don't want you to to reference my blocks um that's mm -hmm. that's one thing yeah i think we're getting there though that's um there's a couple new specs like link data uh w3c is it working on that right now which would allow much more of this granular linking between things it's supposed to be like web 3.0 the semantic web there's lots of buzzwords for it but it's still all in development yeah, so this promise of it, I and mean, this is why I always think like the the internet is so young, right? It's yeah. <laughs> like barely a couple decades into this. I mean, I'd expect, you know, we'll figure it out in like a hundred years. Like I, I don't know quite how long it took to figure out electricity without it burning down everyone's houses, but it took a while, right? Like in the beginning, electricity was awful. <laughs> <laughs> so we'll get there, but we're just part of the generation that's in the the growth pain stage. That's like this doesn't work. <laughs> If you if you put it that way, right? Like thinking about it from a long term perspective, assuming that the internet mm -hmm. was only active in the past 30, 40 years, yeah. I believe. So not even mm -hmm. not even fifty years in, are we in the beta version of the internet? And oh, is sure. yeah, right? And is alpha, like alpha. Yeah, alpha. And is our <laughs> uh, features like bi-directional linking or even block mm -hmm. referencing or uh, transclusion, I believe that's what you said, uh, transclusion mm -hmm. or even interesting innovative design patterns that allow us to connect thoughts. Mm -hmm. Probably the next step to what the internet can be. I don't know, but you know, Rome is definitely on the way there, on the way there and paving the way there, which is awesome. Like, I love it. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I love it. So, uh, I do want to ask you just a couple of things just to see uh, how you might be able to answer this. How would you describe Rome to someone who hasn't started using it? 
Ooh, I've had to do this a couple of times because even my <laughs> family will see me tweeting about it and they're like, what's this Rome thing that you're on about? <laughs> <laughs> um, and trying to explain it. Um, how have I done it? This is where you know you're like really indoctrinated into the cult when you're not able to like talk outside of the jargon. You've like lost beginner's mind. Um, yeah, I definitely will always... Yeah, <laughs> I'll always start with the bidirectional links. People can mostly understand that. You can say, okay, if I link here and I link here, you know it. Because um, getting in, getting into explaining queries and transclusions and um, embeds gets a little trickier. I think so far I've just had to show people. I just usually put on put on Zoom. So I don't probably have a very poetic answer. I'm sure other people have said things like, oh, it's like it's like the you know Mediterranean jungle and you know. Like connect everything up and all the and I and I'm just saying well, I don't know I just show people on Zoom. <laughs> I mean to be fair, a, a demo of the tool is like the best way. I I did this right. thing where I was I had a guest for another show uh, wanting to do a call with me for uh, just just to warm up and get to know each other and then maybe just know rules about the show etc. So it was just like 15 20 minutes and. Uh, I was like, oh, yeah, yeah, we should talk about this, 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 this. And he's like, yeah, okay, cool. And I screen shared and I had my Rome notes open about him. Mm. Just It wasn't to show him Rome. It was to show him like, <laughs> it was to show him like, oh, this is the outline of what we'll be talking about. Or at least um, these are some of the rules and I can send you these links, right? And, and I'm just scrolling down my Rome, like, because it has his name on it and it's his page. And he's like... I know we're doing something important, but can can you just tell me what what it what happens is? <laughs> and I'm like, oh brother, <laughs> welcome to the <laughs> welcome to the cult. <laughs> I think I'm even like cautious of introducing new people to it because I'm afraid it'll be overwhelming. Or if they're just getting started, I'm like, well, don't look at mine because it'll frighten you. But like, look over here. <laughs> this is a simple one. <laughs> <laughs> no this too much here look here yeah. <laughs> <laughs> too much for me half the time <laughs> that, that's actually another thing i'm worried about uh it, it, since we are talking about uh being in rome cult and having to explain that to people who are not part mm. of at least that culture of people who mm. really 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 love this tool despite you know like different flaws etc etc the value of it is just so great I have a feeling that we are having a lot of trouble trying to articulate that value to people who mm -hmm. have not tried it uh, for the first time. And, uh, you know, this is before, I'm not sure how it is now because, you know, it's technically officially out. There's like payments and there's a trial and everything. But before then, we, it was in beta, so anyone could try it, uh, you know, before the waitlist stuff happened. Do you think there's a really good way to design like an onboarding system for Rome, at least from how you would see it, since you yourself noticed that stuff like queries and transclusion can be very difficult to explain. Is it a matter mm -hmm. of trying to tell people, oh, you can link things, but what do you get out of that? I'd love to hear your take on this as someone who might be looking into the connections between people. Maybe is there, uh, do you have to now consider how Rome will connect people? Yeah. Um, I mean, the thing of introducing people to it, I don't, I mean, that's course is good. It's one of the only ones out there. And I, of course, like Shumi, uh, Shuomi, uh, yeah. he has good YouTube videos. I, I mean, I watched both of them to get up to speed, I think. And even then some of the features I didn't quite understand. Like if mm. you, you know, if you don't understand quite what 
embedding uh, or you know indenting a block underneath one quite the implications of that and where how that shows up all across the system it takes yeah. a minute to figure out um or quite how to yeah set up your taxonomy and tags i mean i'm not going to say there's uh, like a whole tutorial that exists yet for it i mean i think onboarding is like a long-term uh issue that that rome will have to tackle um because right now uh, i forget who would come up with this it wasn't me uh probably rob um that right now we're like a community community onboarding so like there's no roam onboarding so the community onboards you right so this podcast and all the youtube videos that's your onboarding experience um and i feel like that fits with the tool quite well because if there was like an official onboarding that would feel non-roam um ah. because it is inherently exploratory and open-ended and non-structured and if you're going to be a Rome person, you you need to approach it in that same way. So you have to learn the only way you're going to use Rome is going on a little like research rabbit hole, finding all the weird areas of it. Um, I wish there was a better name too for all people uh, that are part of Rome cult because it's not just Rome, like the same people I see in the digital gardening space and I see them in building a second brain and I see them in, in all these other places. Uh, and, I, and at some point I lose track of, of what like specific chat app we're all in, whether it's Twitter or some other group. Um, and I'm like, there's no name for this, but it's a tribe. <laughs> yeah. I mean, maybe like knowledge explorers or something like that. I, I get what you mean right. because the, the exploratory part is mm. the most difficult thing to, what, what's the word for it? Accommodate for. I think that's mm -hmm. the, the best word to put it, like accommodate for. Like, like you said, if Rome were to have an official onboarding experience, is it mm -hmm. actually Rome? And now that you brought <laughs> that up, I actually I actually agree with what you said. It might not be Rome, like, right? Like, yeah. um, I think there was somebody else who also said um, the Rome cult is onboarding because it's yeah. just, you're just thrown off the cliff and then you have to survive. And <laughs> It's, it's up to your sense. There's all this information yeah. coming at you. <laughs> you're losing um, blocks right? and you're like, what? Because <laughs> if, if, you know, uh, you opened up Rome and it told you exactly how to set up to-dos and, and projects and it showed you how to do some specific system, that would then become the system and people wouldn't push the boundaries as much. Whereas like, I'm expecting, right, the way I've set up my room is, is a hodgepodge of other people's, but I'm excited that, that in the future people will set it up completely differently and we're designing the pattern language while we're in it yeah. and they're constantly evolving um, and any official one would sort of ruin all that fun. It might be just a matter of really giving the tools to the user and mm -hmm. showing as many use cases as possible as to what is possible. Mm -hmm. And from there, you let them know, now try it. Right. As mm -hmm. opposed to, I think that's also one of the biggest features of Rome that isn't really talked about is the, the notion of no organization or at least the mm. huge advocacy for no organization, or at least the organization part of it is the daily notes uh, format. Mm -hmm. For example, I would love to see instead of a graph overview, more like a timeline overview. Like on this day, what pages come out and on this day, what pages mm. come out. Uh, because a graph is essentially a huge map of all these you know, pages that you've done. But a timeline is more, shall we say, more in parallel with what kind of notes would pop up. Because on this day, there are different kinds of notes that pop up and they have different blocks that will pop up. And maybe a timeline overview, that would be great. 
that would really yeah. help in at least trying to help design the step one of your own unique individual system. Um, because my system would be completely different from yours, but we, we, the both of us would start from a, the same base, which is daily notes, anything goes. Yeah. I like that too. Like, yeah, I hope they lean into the time element of it because I've, I use spaced repetition of mine too, which I've loved. Um, so like the way I develop seedlings is I'm using, oh, is it called unofficial Rome toolkit? It's a Chrome yep. and Firefox plugin. And you can put space repetition on blocks really easily. So I use that heavily. Um, just if I've taken notes on a book, I will, and there are important key ideas I've gotten out of it. Um, I will put those on a space repetition. So they come back to me on certain days uh, and same with seedlings. So, um, if I have a seedling and I want to develop it sometime in the future, but I, it's not complete now and still collecting information on it, like check it to myself in the future and I'll get it in two weeks and I'll be like, Oh, I've like learned more about this. Now I can like finish writing this note and turn it into an evergreen. I actually never thought about putting SRS for, for seedlings. Oh, okay. I should mm. actually implement that. That's interesting because I haven't actually fully played with the toolkit uh, to the point mm -hmm. where I could implement the SRS because I use SRS for other things like languages, like learning languages, but I do that mm -hmm. offline, right? I just, you know, I just time it myself and I have my own language learning system for that, which is okay. I've never tried to implement it in Rome. Does it like work really well, the SRS system in, in Rome? It should be okay, right? Um, so I can't compare it to like, I've never been a heavy user of Anki or any of the like comparative ones. So I, I can't necessarily say I've only gotten into SRS since being in Rome. Um, so it does work really well for, for book notes. Um, just because I'm also someone who will like read like 12 books at once, but popping in and out of them. Um, so it's really useful for that because then I can like be like, Oh yeah, I was like about a third of the way through that book. I can keep going when, when a note about it pops up on a day. Um, but I know I found that that's one of my favorite things for developing writing because then it doesn't, it stops you from having a backlog because otherwise you'd have a backlog of seeds, right? Oh, I have to like yeah. go through these and turn them into evergreens. And instead it's just like a, a wild field and you sometimes are like handed a seed and you're like, oh, that's a good one to develop today. And then you just like chuck it back into the field. And then the next day, like a whole bunch more get thrown at you and you like maybe develop them or you don't, if you don't feel like it, you throw it back. And it's not, yeah, it's not a to-do list. It's just like a field of options. Yeah, uh, I am actually going through that right now. So, <laughs> like, uh, um, although I I don't call my notes seedlings, uh, my my shall we say my image or at least my analogy of uh -huh. my garden isn't a garden but a mine. Like you would mine ores, like a mine where oh. you go and take a pickaxe and you mine ores. So all of my different levels of notes are called ores, which are the messy you know, this organized notes of whatever. And once they have, once they have become proper concepts, they become alloys. So alloys are put where they like, like what you said for, I believe for evergreens or for at least the basic level of evergreens, it's maybe one paragraph or something like that. It's more or less stable, right? And there are different formations of alloys. The alloys will be put on a public garden, hopefully. And yeah. from there I can make a skeleton and a skeleton is basically the outline for a piece of content, right? Like a video or an article or whatever. This skeleton can be reused because it's it's the same outline. I'm just doing it in video mm. format or in podcast format or whatever. And from there, it'll turn into a weapon. And the weapon is basically the piece of content, like an article. Um, oh, interesting. I love that. I love that you came up with a different metaphor. <laughs> That's great. Yeah, uh, I I think it's because I have the... I think it's because the way that I look at it is 
I, I look at knowledge workers as blacksmiths of mm. thinking. So the way that they would look at these notes is that they would temper them and they would forge them over time. So the word tempering is a very personal word to me. Like I even have another show that has the word in it and it's all about like fiction and stuff, but basically it's on like trying to temper wisdom and trying to mold it into something else. So on the notion of trying to build an ore or build an alloy and then weaponize it because I want to build something that has an intent. So this article mm. will be about the following, da, 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 da. or this video will be about this. Da, da, da. So that's um, that. That's how oh. I would look at it. Yeah, you're making me think. Like that's solving some. I've been struggling with the whole thing of the difference between blocks and pages. Mm. Rome doesn't treat them quite right at the moment. It's like you can't really query properly if things are on a yep. page, and you're trying to find things. Yeah, it's really frustrating. So I'm moving away from pages and moving more towards modular blocks. But that thing of the speculative outlines is key. Like Andy Matuszczak talks about that in his notes, that putting evergreens together into speculative outlines that form a cohesive whole. Um, yeah. Now you're making me think I want to come up with a new word that's like seedlings to evergreens to like, I don't want to call them trees, but something that's like a plant, which is actually a page of, of speculative outlines. Okay. Like branches or roots or something like that? Something, yeah. something. I like yeah. your mining metaphor, though. That's really good. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> yeah, uh, the skeleton thing has been uh, has been with me for like years, like before I even thought mm. of the mining metaphor, and that was because I have all these messy notes. Like this is this is during the dark times, right? Like so, <laughs> I have all these notes, and they would just fit somewhere on this outline. So mm. to me, it looked like the spine or the skeleton of whatever this thing is going to be. So it made sense. So uh, I think I would draft out, I would actually draft out articles on pen and paper by just doing bullet mm. points of like, oh, da, 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 and then just put it in there. And then from there, just mold it into something much more greater. So, and here we are with Rome, with gardens and mines and trying to make sense of our notes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um that's funny too. You said you used to draft it on paper. I used to do post-it notes. I've only ever been able to write on post-it notes because you can move them around. Um, I'd never quite made that connection before. That's actually what blocks let you do. <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah, post-its I are... I never thought of that, but I've always written on post-its for articles well, in the dark times. Um, and yeah, because then you can move them around and you can map them all out in a physical space and be like, oh, that doesn't quite fit. Like I remember writing my undergraduate thesis that way, just like, the spread of post-it notes in the files. <laughs> yeah. I, I've actually never thought about that. Post-it notes are physical blocks. And I mm -hmm. guess you can reference them. No, well, no. And you have to like make a copy. Magic, yeah. yeah. You'd have to make a copy. <laughs> okay. Right. Thank goodness but, we have Rome instead. <laughs> yeah. Oh, right. Here's, here's to, here's to the future with, uh, <laughs> more advancements in futurology and digital anthropology <laughs> and all that. And also, final question to you, Maggie, mm -hmm. what does Rome mean to you? Oh, now I'm supposed to come up with some real philosophical... Yeah, I mean, you don't, you don't have to. <laughs> I'm just curious what's your answer. Uh, okay, mine, mine is for sure... I know it... If we take it technically, Rome technically is like a closure app on a server somewhere that like allows us to write text in a certain way, like yep. taken in, in a rather literal definition. Um, I really love the idea of that technologies are not like the objective scientific definition of things, but are instead 
social social material hybrid. So there's like the material side of, of what Rome is like in a computer. And the social side is like Rome cult and everyone that uses Rome and all their weirdness. And like, that's really what makes Rome what it is. Um, I am way more invested in and like interested in the people who use Rome and the way they interact and the way we all are forming beliefs and cultures together um, than I am about like features of the tool or like certain themes of it. Like that is, is much less interesting. And, and the sort of fact that we've used it as a beacon, that's a little bit like, Hey, if you're into weird note taking stuff, like come over here. <laughs> it's more like a tiny flag over on Twitter yeah. and everyone like everyone interesting sort of like gathers around it. Um, so I just think of this as an excuse to like get to connect with really like wonderful, good thinkers. Um, and the tool itself is, it almost feels tangential to that. Yeah, it's like a reflection of, I, I believe it was, actually, it was Michael, actually, earlier today that said that Rome as a tool attracts those with the same philosophical perspectives on note-taking or, mm. or something along those lines, um, on penning down thoughts and on knowledge work. Uh, and mm. to me, it looks like a filter, right? It's the, it's the filter to let people know that if you use Rome, you are probably weird to a certain extent. Or you are obsessive to a certain extent about how you write your notes down. It doesn't matter about what note. Like, it doesn't matter about what field. Like, you could be talking about anthropology. I could be talking about fintech or I could be talking about ducks. I don't know. But, like, mm -hmm. the fact that we could have all these references and make all these pages, it's what makes it fascinating. And I think it's a really good way to find the people who, like you said, are exploratory. So... Mm -hmm. I think uh, that would be great. Yeah. <laughs> and with that, Maggie, thank you so much. If we want to reach out to you, to contact you for anything that we talked about in this episode, where can we find you? How do we do that? Uh, probably Twitter. Um, hashtag Rome Cult. But <laughs> my, my <laughs> uh, handle is mappletons, so mappletons. Um, uh, I try to tweet about things other than Rome, but a lot of it inevitably ends up being Rome-esque. Um, although over the coming months, a lot of it will just be visual digital anthropology stuff <laughs> as I head into this. <laughs> awesome. Awesome. We are yeah. excited to see those uh, illustrations coming out. So Maggie, thank you so much. Thanks for having me on. This was great. <laughs> Thank you for listening to the show. Make sure to hit subscribe in your favorite podcast listening app. And for a full version of the show notes to this episode, you can check out the public Rome graph. The link to that will be in the description right below. For more updates, comments, feedback, and suggestions, you can reach out to me at RomeFM on Twitter. Keep roaming your thoughts, and I will see you in the next episode. Take care. <laughs>